um, to kind of just refresh us on the passage. So it says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Children, I am with you a little longer. You will look for me, just as I told the Jews. Where, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I tell you, I give you a new command. Love one another, just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so um, I just turned 25, and it's taken me about this long to realize that as a general rule, people don't enjoy spoilers. And this might seem like very obvious to everybody, but this has only become obvious to me very recently. Even like the other day, Emily was, um, I can't remember what you were talking about, but you were like trying not to spoil something. And in that moment, I was just like, just say it. Like, it doesn't matter. It's fine. Um, When I get a new book, I was going to say I did this as a child, but I still do this very often. When I get a new book, I always flip to the last page and I read the last page before I read anything else. in the book (laughs) I know I know okay and okay I was reflecting on this kind of and the reason I think I do this is because I like to compare my experience of that last page um, with no context to the story to the experience of reading the last page with the entire context of the story I don't know it's just fun for me I don't know it's just you know that might be crazy but I don't care I like it um, it, but, like, the last page of a book typically doesn't really give that much context to the, to the overall story anyways, um, unless it does. And I don't know if any of you guys have read, uh, like, the Hunger Games series, but Suzanne Collins has a really wonderful way of, like, keeping you engaged. Um, and at the end of every book, there's just kind of this, like, jaw-dropping, like, shocking thing where you're like, what? So, anyways, I would read the last page, and I was like, what are the events that lead up to this? Like, and I'm like so much more excited to read this book because I'm like, that's nuts. I can't wait to see like how this unfolds. Um, And she does this kind of like at the end of every chapter too. There's this like, this just this moment that kind of like leads into the next chapter. And so I would be like halfway through a chapter and the curiosity would get the best of me. And I would, (laughs) I'd flip to the end of the chapter and I'd be like, oh, and, and you know then I was just more excited to read it because it's just it's just fun for me I don't know um and the other week I went to I went over to my friend's house and I had just finished this show on Hulu and I thought it was like the best thing I'd ever seen in my whole life um and I was like Hannah this show I just watched is the best thing I've ever seen in my life and you need to watch it and then I proceed to tell her the entire plot of the movie or the show because I was so pumped about this show and like not only did I tell her the plot I was like going into the character development like my own theories about like this show and the characters and stuff and after I got done telling her she was like Maddie I'm not gonna watch this and I was like but why like I know you I know this show like you're going to love it and she was like 
you just told me the whole story. Like, it's spoiled. And I was like, no, you don't understand. Like, it's the experience of, like, the cinematography and, like, the characters and how they grow and, like, learn. And she wasn't having it. Um, and that's her, you know, that's her loss, and that's fine. That's fine with me. <laughs> but, so I think... Um, the reason that spoilers don't bother me that much is because it just doesn't it just doesn't ruin the story for me I think it improves my experience of the story and I know that that just doesn't make sense to some of you but if I know what's going to happen um, it gives whatever is in the beginning and middle part of the book or show or movie or whatever so much more meaning you can actively put together the events that are leading up to the end and it's just better to experience it that way in my opinion. Um, this is why people watch and reread things over and over and over again, right? It's because it's fun to pick out the stuff that you missed. And I think sometimes we get really caught up in the anticipation of whatever's going to happen at the end of the story that we often forget what happens leading up to the end. And we have to really allow ourselves to be present with whatever story we're experiencing to get the full effect of what's going on. So in verse 31 of this passage we just read in John, Jesus says, well, there are some, um, some translations that say the Son of Man has been glorified and God has been glorified in him. I think the, the one that we read says is glorified. Yeah. So in this, in this verse, Jesus is using, he is using the past tense, but he's ref doing it to refer to something that hasn't happened yet. Um, this glorification, it, it has happened, but it's continuing to happen and will continue to happen. But maybe in just a slightly different way than before. Jesus has already been seen in his glory a couple of times, once at the transfiguration, which actually isn't in John. Um, and this was only to a few of the disciples. But perhaps he will show up glorified in a different way. And maybe it's to all of the disciples after his resurrection or maybe it's even to all of creation when everything is made new. By the way, the scripture is a spoiler uh, that Jesus is giving about the end of the story. And he gives multiple of these, but this is one of them. Jesus has just discussed with his uh, disciples his departure. And he's very, very aware of what's about to happen and is confident that this crucifixion that he is about to endure will be immediately vindicated by his resurrection and glorification. Jesus already knows the end of the story and is offering the disciples a little bit of a spoiler because the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus is supposed to mean something in the life of the disciples before the end of the story. So he talks to them about this new commandment. He says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you you should also love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another so I want us or I want to offer us the opportunity to kind of put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples here imagine with me so they're all at the table with Jesus and right before this Jesus calls out Judas for being the one to betray him and Judas leaves, and there's already this, like, awkward tension in the room where it's like, that was weird. Um, and now Jesus is talking about this new commandment to love one another. And 
I can imagine the disciples are like, have we not been doing this? Is this, is this, have we been doing it wrong? Like, what's going on? There's no way they're not all looking around at each other like, what part of this commandment is new? The commandment to love one another is not some revelatory thing that Jesus is just now bringing up. It's in the law. It's actually the foundation of the Jewish community. It's part of what has shaped the people of God from the very beginning. So it's not new, but there is this newness to it. What is new about this understanding of love is the way that Jesus, the incarnation of God, demonstrates it. And you know, even then, it's not entirely new, because if we believe that the person of Jesus is part of this divine trinity that also includes God the Father, that has been present with Israel this entire time, then haven't the people of God already experienced this kind of love? Throughout the entire history of Israel, God is constantly loving, engaging with, reorienting, and making new the people of Israel. God has been demonstrating this divine love from the moment that God breathed life into the world. So when we see God become an infant and grow up to be the kind of person that washes his disciples' feet before he lays down his life for the world that he created out of love, Shouldn't there be this moment where the disciples or like anyone in the Jewish community is like, that's God. That is a love that I'm familiar with. I know this because it's consistent with the entire history of how we've experienced God. And like Peter, Peter gets it. He's like, you're the Messiah and I'm coming with you. And Jesus is like, you're not actually. Um, You're going to try. You're going to look for me. But where I am going, you can't come. And Jesus has said this before, the where I'm going, you can't come, but in kind of a different context when he's talking to the Pharisees. Um, Some commentators kind of interpret it as a warning, and I think it often gets interpreted as um, sort of like, if you don't straighten up, uh, you're going to go to hell and not to heaven with me because you're a sinner, you stupid Pharisee. Um, But I think Jesus is a lot more kind than that, and I think that Jesus is a lot more faithful than that. And I imagine this interaction is more of a moment where Jesus is just trying to reorient the Pharisees a little bit to this law of love. And we really give the Pharisees a bad rap, right? There's, you know, they're always painted in this horrible light as people who are super legalistic and out to get sinners, but then they become hypocritical because we see them as sinners. But they've dedicated their entire life to this law from God. And they're trying to live as faithfully as they possibly can. And, like, yeah, there's some tension between Jesus and the Pharisees. Um, But Jesus never tells them that being a Pharisee is bad. He just says that if you're going to be a good Pharisee, then you have to interpret the law as it's meant to be interpreted through the love that God has constantly shown God's people. And it's quite possible that the law has been a bit convoluted by the surrounding culture of the day, and perhaps some politics have trickled in there as well. And the Pharisees have really strong opinions about the interpretation of the law through those lenses. 
But as Jesus addresses the Pharisees about this place they can't yet go, emphasis on yet, he is calling them to remember the love of God that is the foundation of this whole thing so that one day they can be where Jesus is going. I have a lot of sympathy for the Pharisees, um, and I think that it's really beneficial to remember that Jesus probably has some things to say to us about our interpretation of the Bible or the way that we view the world. But anyways, back to the disciples. Jesus is saying the same thing to them. He's saying, you cannot go where I am going, but it's kind of in a different way. They can't follow him yet, but what they can do is create the place that Jesus is going right where they are now, even if Jesus is not with them. They can't all go with Jesus because there is work to be done, and that work is the work of love. And that love is not constituted by anything other than the example of Jesus's life. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. You can almost hear the reverberations of Leviticus saying, be holy as I am holy. Like I said, this commandment is not really new at all. But this commandment to love one another continues to be the foundation of the people of God today. God says, this is how other people will know that you belong to me. The way that you act is a form of love. The way that you share is a form of love. The way that you make space is a form of love. The way that you respect is a form of love. The way that you care for the poor, orphan, and widow is a form of love. The way that you steward the earth is a form of love. The way that you do literally anything is a form of love. If it is modeled after the divine love that has been shown to you your entire life, and this commandment to love is not for the purposes of evangelism, although there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But I think what this love is asking of us is that we live well, that we exist well, so that others can reap the benefits of our being well. And what I mean by this is that if we, the church, are able to love one another, if we can feed, clothe, comfort, share, celebrate with, grieve with, and just be with one another, we will be so prepared to invite others into that loving and healing space that need it. And everyone needs that. But that space begins with our acknowledgement and understanding of the love of God. And aren't we thankful that God's love does not depend on us? Um, I think growing up, I was always under the impression that I would not experience God's love unless I was the one who initiated it. And thankfully and truthfully, that has not been my experience almost at all. Um, and I can point to multiple times where God has met me very unexpectedly and invited me into this sacred space. And those moments have been where I've had this very deep and visceral experience of God's love. And I just don't know if I would have been able to live as lovingly as I have up to this point had God not shown up to me first. And a lot of you guys have kids. How ridiculous would it be if you all only decided to love or parent your kids if they asked you to? I don't have children, but I feel like that would go very poorly. Um, they know about love because you all have taught them what it means to love. 
We all learn by example and experience. We know about the love of God because God has shown up to us in big ways or small ways. And I think that probably the most consistent way that God shows up to us is through one another. So I'm going to recap just a little bit. Um, So Jesus is here. He's with his disciples. And he's telling them that he's going somewhere and they can't come with him. And since they can't go with him, they are supposed to continue what Jesus has already started. They're supposed to be living their life with the end of the story in mind. That is, as lovingly as possible. Um, A minute ago, we read this verse from Revelation, and I'm going to reread just a part of it. Where'd it go? Oh, okay. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will, no, will exist no longer, because the previous things have passed away. And the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. This is the actual end of the story. But this new commandment that Jesus is giving is just a tiny glimpse of the end of the story every single time it is lived out. Don't these moments of love mean so much more when we already know that someday we will get to experience that love in its fullness? That the end of the story is God making all things new with this love? I think that it really does. So I invite you to remember that we get to live in the end of the story while we are still in the middle of it. And we get to love each other in a very particular kind of way. Pray with me. God, we are thankful that you show up to us without our asking. And we are thankful that you continue to be with us even when we don't recognize it. I pray that you would um, give us the opportunity and the ability to love one another well. Amen.